I'm headed. I hope you're headed there. By the way, you can live in Beulah land while you're here on earth. Amen. Uh, that's the promised land. That's where the victory is, and that's where God wants us to be. 426. Don't forget that praise God in the course. Yeah, let's turn those fans on. Far away the noise of strife upon my ear is falling. Then I know the sins of earth beset on every hand. Doubt and fear and things of earth in vain to me are calling. None of these shall move me from Beulah land. I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. Praise God, I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh yes, I'm feasting on the manna from the bountiful supply for I am dwelling in Beulah land. For below the storm of doubt upon the world is beating. Sons of men in battle long the enemy withstand. Safe am I within the castle of God's word retreating. Nothing then can reach me, tis Beulah land. I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. Praise God, I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I'm feasting on the manna from the bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Beulah. Let's sing that third is the last. Let the stormy breezes blow, their cry cannot alarm me. I am safely sheltered here, protected by God's hand. Here the sun is always shining, here there's none can harm me. I am safe forever in Beulah I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. Praise God, I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I'm feasting on the manna from the bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Beulah land. Amen. You may be seated. And Hebrews chapter 6 is a uh, relatively difficult passage of Scripture. Let's turn there to Hebrews chapter 6. There's a lot of confusion about Hebrews chapter 6. I remember the first time, well, not the first time I ever read it, but the first time I actually went into Hebrews chapter 6 to explore this was because someone was challenging me about what uh, I believe the Bible teaches called an eternal salvation. And they were going right to this passage and they said, See there, it says if you fall away, you can fall away. The only problem was they didn't read the next part of the verse, now did they? Look at verse 6, it says, If they fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. If you lose your salvation, you're never going to ever get it back. It's not possible. And by the way, we'll read through this passage. It's interesting, the places where people go to prove their false doctrines and their misunderstandings of the Word of God are often the best places to go to disprove the very things they're trying to prove. And um, the only problem is, in, in my outline here, I'm thinking it's going to take us about three weeks to get to verse 6. Uh, because there's some real important things before we get to verse 6 that we've got to get a hold of here. Let's just start reading in verse 1. It says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, 
not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of uh, hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Now that's the first sentence. I love the writer of Hebrews. My English teacher always graded my papers very poorly because I love run-on sentences. And according to my English teacher, this is a run-on sentence. And, uh, but since God wrote it, she can't complain about it. Amen? And uh, I like sentences that, that have a lot of meaning to them. And what we have to do is we have to realize that this is all one thought. These first two verses here. And we, what we need to do in order to get what is being said is take it apart. Piece by piece. See what it says put it together, and then chances are we'll be heading in the right direction. Amen? And uh, I, I love to study the Scripture that way because it's just simple. People complain all the time about the King James Bible. Oh, it's so hard to read. But if you'll take it apart, phrase by phrase, piece by piece, and, and if you need a dictionary, I know there's some old words in there, we have uh, a set of dictionaries. I think I still have four or five on the shelf. Uh, we pay $5 for them. If you want one, you take it and put money in the offering plate on Sunday. Uh, and it has all the hard words in your King James Bible defined for you. And what we're going to do tonight is we're just going to start off, therefore. First word. Anytime you see therefore, wherefore, whereby... Here too, a lot of these conjunctions, these are connective words. This is connecting the thoughts in chapter 6 to everything that we have studied so far. Now, we've been 20 weeks at getting through the first five chapters. We don't have time to review all 20 lessons tonight. I won't do that to you. Uh, either I'd have to talk so fast you wouldn't understand a word I said, or... We'd have to spend another 20 weeks going over it again, and then we wouldn't be any farther than we were when we started. And so we don't want to do either of those. Just a few simple chapters, a, a few simple points under point one in your outline. Number one, Jesus himself, his person, is the greatest revelation God has given to man. That's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Hath in these last times by his what? Son. And we learned in chapter 1 that the basis of all cults and false religions in our modern time is when people compare Jesus to other things. They want to compare Jesus to the creation. You cannot compare the creator to what he has done. Amen? Uh, that's where we get this crazy idea of, of uh, the Eastern mystical religions, of the good versus the bad. And they have to be balanced uh, one against the other. Uh, if we have any Star Wars fanatics, that was teaching you somewhere between Hinduism and Buddhism, a strange little mixture of the two, uh, of the balance between evil and good. And when necessary, the evil becomes good in the Star Wars story. That does not happen with God. The devil always has been evil since the day he fell. He's not going back. Only us humans are redeemed. Amen? And God does not need the devil to get his job done. We get, I, I get so tired of everybody. We all want to blame the devil for everything. You know what? A lot of things just aren't his fault. We do enough stupidness on our own now, don't we? And it's time we take credit for that. Go to the Lord and get it straightened out. You cannot compare Jesus to the creation. You cannot compare him to the angels. Because he is God. Amen. And that is what chapter 1 tells us. Chapter 2 tells us that if we neglect so great a salvation, if we turn our back on the words of this book, there is no remedy. There is no other solution for sin. There is no other place you can go 
You must pay attention to the words of this book called the Bible. That's God's revelation. Jesus is the living word. This book called the Bible is the written word. And by the way, if you want to sit down and get out your theological knife and try to dissect the difference between the two, I promise you, you're going to end up in error. You cannot separate the Lord of the word from his words. These are God's revelation to you and I. It's amazing, though, Jesus, chapter 2, down on in that chapter, I think, verse 17 or 18, he says he's not ashamed to call us his brethren. This God that created the world, who gave us all the revelation, everything we need to know about God. Uh, over the years, many people have said, well, Pastor, I, I know the Bible's God's word, but I just wish I could see Jesus and, and, and really just hear him speaking. If I could just reach out and touch him. The only problem is you already have everything God wants you to have. There's nothing new. There's nothing else we need. And that same Jesus that gave us everything says, I am your brother. He suffered for us. Amen. Jesus was faithful in chapter 3. Just like Moses was faithful in giving God's law to the children of Israel, Jesus was faithful in fulfilling every point of that law and purchasing rest. If you're here tonight and you're saved and you know for sure that heaven is your home, I want you to think back to what it was like before you got saved and you were trying somehow to be good enough to please God. Does anybody remember that? Remember trying to work and, and struggling back and forth and, and, and you never knew. One of the questions I like to ask people, they say, well, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. Well, what about the ones you broke? Well, I'm doing good things. And I'm, I'm taking care of the bad things I've done by the good things I've done. Well, how many good things do you have to do to take care of one lie? How, how good is good, by the way? I mean, if you're mostly good, will that count? One of the lessons I'm trying to teach my children is on occasion I'll come in and, and uh, being the... Um, uh, uh, father that I am uh, I'll look and I'll say this is wrong and then I get a whole list of things but dad I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this right and I did that right you found the only thing wrong that I did do you think God is going to put up with a list of I done's at the judgment seat of Christ? Uh-uh. Because if your sins are not paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter else, matter what else you've done. God is interested in taking care of every sin. That is our rest. Now, I want you to remember that because this is key to getting into the lesson that we're going to try to start tonight. That rest was purchased by Jesus' blood on the cross, and that rest is in the fact that our salvation is eternal in Jesus Christ and not contingent upon the works that we do. Then chapter 4 ends with telling us we have that faithful high priest who we can boldly approach to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Then we come to the first major division in the book of Hebrews. The first four chapters, God is giving us a history of his revelation and what we've done with it and what he wants us to do with it. He wants us to take his revelation and approach the throne of grace. His way. And that's where we find mercy. That's where we find grace. 
That's where we get our salvation. Amen? Jesus is our high priest. That was chapter 5. We spent four or five weeks in chapter 5. And, and I just feel like we've only scratched the surface of the things that are in there because as, as we look at chapter 5, we understand that Jesus did not promote himself. He fulfilled the duty that God gave him to do. We look at these verses here, and, and let's just read them again. Verse 7, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. God let us in the Garden of Gethsemane look at the agonies of the Father, of what Jesus went through to obtain our salvation. Don't try to read anything else other than that into that. Jesus was not afraid of death. Jesus was not afraid the devil was going to kill him before he got to the cross. He wanted to show you and I the depths to which God was moved in order to obtain our salvation. He prayed for three hours. What did Jesus do? He recited scripture, did he not? Nevertheless, thy will be done. Jesus was not trying to surrender himself. He was already surrendered before he was born. Amen. He was surrendered from the foundation of the universe. He wanted us. I, I believe that's the reason why John does not record the Garden of Gethsemane. Because he was so overcome by seeing what his Savior went through. He just, Jesus found them sleeping. You ever just come up to a real stressful thing you're just not looking forward to? And I mean, you just sleep right through it sometimes. Anybody ever done that? And uh, try not to make church that stressful, all right? But uh, then in the, in the end of the chapter, is it as hot out there as it is up here? Can you open any windows there? Or I'm cooking up here. But uh, we'll keep moving. I'm sorry for the distraction there. The last part of chapter 5 is a warning. We must needs grow up. And God wants us to be able to enjoy the strong meat of the word and those things which he has for us. Therefore, because of all of these things, we are leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. You see, sometimes we get so stalled right at salvation that we never go much past it. Salvation is not the end. In fact, this is one of the ways you can tell false religion from true religion is in all false religion, salvation is the goal. That's where you're headed. That's the thing that maybe someday, if so, uh, you do enough of this and say enough of these and, and, and please enough people that you must might get into heaven by the skin of your teeth and if you don't make it, there's always a place called purgatory or something along those lines where you can uh, have a second chance at, at, at straightening out the things you messed up in in this life. That's all false. Salvation is the starting point. It's the beginning. And if sometimes I think we Baptists are functioning Pentecostals or Arminians. 
An Arminian is someone who believes they can lose their salvation. You see, we know that Jesus saves us. And we know up here, and we know what the Bible says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Eternal, by the way, means eternal. It doesn't mean eternal until. It didn't say that. It said eternal, period. End of conversation. But how many of you feel saved after you really mess up? We say we're saved. We make a big mistake somehow. We sin. We, we allow ourselves into a situation that we know that we shouldn't have put ourselves in. And we act just like the people who lose their salvation act. Now, we put Baptist words to it. Well, I didn't lose my salvation, but I lost my fellowship. Lost, and you lose your fellowship with God. You lose your joy. But we have to understand something. There has to come a time in our spiritual walk with God where we get out of the diapers and out of the stroller and start serving God. Amen? I mean, this is what he saved us for. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We need to leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ. We know who Jesus is. We know what he's done. We know how he saved us. We know it's eternal. We know we can go to Jesus anytime with anything. And we don't. It's time to leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ. It says, and let us go on to perfection. Now again, this passage is again and again, I mean the, the hammer blows fall at the foundation of this doctrine called Arminianism, meaning that you can lose your salvation. It's really interesting. The people who say you can lose your salvation also uh, as a general, it's not. Uh, there are exceptions to this rule, but they say you can lose your salvation. You can also attain sinless perfection while in this flesh. Now, doesn't that sound crazy when you put it out like that? But people for centuries have held on to this, and and then the manifestation around uh, after 1900, they were called holiness people. And there were many different denominations that were involved in this holiness movement. There were Methodists that were involved in the holiness movement. The Church of the Nazarene, the Christian Missionary Alliance came a little bit later. Almost all of your uh, current day tongue-speaking churches started in the holiness movement. And it's interesting today that those people that were known for their holiness 100 years ago, 80 years ago are now some of the most worldly thing, groups and organizations that you could ever imagine. Now here's the problem. When we get stuck on the principles of Christ and keep go back, going back and reliving our salvation, and, and we're going to go through a whole list of things here that people go back and argue about when they're stuck on the principles of Christ, God wants us to grab a hold of these things and he wants us to move forward. He saved us so he could change us, amen? He saved us so he could bring glory to his name through us. And normally the Lord doesn't do that by you owning a brand new Cadillac or having lots of money in the bank or having a fur coat to wear to church or any of these things. It's not in the things that we possess. It's in what God does through our lives. Now, we say, let us go on under perfection, and we're probably not going to have time to, to deal with that phrase, but the writer of Hebrews is going to start the next part of this sentence with a word, not. He says, I'm not going to spend a lot of time telling you what perfection is, but I'm going to tell you what it isn't. And so we go through the list. 
not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Well, let's read that first one again. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Now, this is pivotal. Can a Christian sin? The answer is, everybody? Yes, absolutely. A Christian can and does and will sin. Can a Christian continually live in sin or have a life that is characterized by sin? The answer is absolutely not. You can't do it. Here's the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person. They both get saved at the same place. They're standing in the pigsty of sin. Now, how many have ever seen a pigsty? You smell them long before you see them, right? The person who is saved has to get saved while they're standing in the pigsty because you can't get out of it on your own. Only Jesus can come over and pick you up out of the pig's eye and hose you off and disinfect you and clean you up and make you smell like you ought to smell and walk like you ought to walk. But as Christians, sometimes we sin and we go back to the pig's eye. But we can't stay there. We can't live there. A Christian struggles with sin. A sinner lives in sin. That's the difference. And if you struggle with sin and then fall off the wagon, as they used to say, and live in sin a while, and then you come back and you say, I'm going to struggle with sin again, and then you fall off the wagon and go back into sin, and then you, you say, I can't live in sin anymore. I know I shouldn't do this. The Bible says... That's what's being spoken about here. You never were saved in the first place. You can't repent from dead works and have faith in God and then lose that faith and then go back and get it again and then start living for God and then fall off. You see, a sinner can struggle against sin for a while. But because the Holy Spirit of God is not living within them, they cannot struggle struggle with sin, they cannot overcome sin for any longer than just a while. And while they may have great victories in one area of their life, they will have great losses in another area of their life because the Holy Spirit of God is not living in them. No real repentance happened. Now let's be careful. I have a preacher friend we don't see much of each other anymore uh, because he has defined this thing of repentance to the point to where if you ever sin after you're saved, you never repented. Now, that's not what the Bible says. You cannot live sinlessly perfect in this life. And the strange thing about this poor guy is he's the only one that's ever measured up to the mark. Everybody else has to get saved again. And that tells me that there's some real problems with doctrine there. Because when it doesn't apply to you, my friend, it's false doctrine. When it's Bible doctrine, it's everybody. That's why I love being a Baptist preacher, amen? I'm not standing up here lording over everybody else. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. But let me tell you something. If you're laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, you're not saved. You can't go out and live in sin and come back to God and then go out and live in sin. God does not play yo-yo with your heart and with your soul. Amen? 
And God won't let you do it either. I can tell you stories of people who gave this testimony before they died that I wanted to leave God and leave His Word. You read in the book of 1 John, it says there is a sin unto death. God's not going to let His children go out and live in the pig pen. He's got that line drawn. And He'll stop you. He is more than capable of getting the job done. If we could only be as afraid of God as we are of the IRS, things would be different, wouldn't it? Now that borders on blasphemy, doesn't it? It really does because most of us are more afraid of the IRS than we are of God. And that's dangerous. That is a scary thing for a Christian to think more of one of the most ungodly organizations ever made by mankind, the IRS. <laughs> Amen? And yet, we're more afraid of them than we are of God. It says here, listen, if we're going to move on to perfection, we cannot waste our life laying and relaying the foundation of repentance from dead works. There's only one reason you ever have to relay a foundation. And that's because the first time you laid it, you didn't lay it on something solid. When you dig those footers and you pour that concrete or whatever you happen to do, to, if that's set on something solid, the foundation doesn't move. That's why we can build more skyscrapers in New York City than almost any other place in the world because Manhattan Island is one solid piece of bedrock granite that rose to the surface somehow. You only need to go down. I mean, the, um, where the World Trade Centers used to stand, they had to go down 70 feet to get to the bedrock. But there are places in Queens. You wonder why we don't have many skyscrapers in Astoria? It's because you got to go a whole lot farther than 70 feet to find bedrock here. And it's just across the river. It won't support it. When you lay a foundation on the Lord Jesus Christ, it never needs fixing. Amen. A foundation is for one purpose. It's to build on it. You don't make foundations to look at them. They are covered with dirt. They are buried. The reason the foundations are down there is because you're going to try to build on them. And as people walk by, they don't look at the foundation of the building very often they want to see the beautiful stained glass and the high windows and the architecture and all the beauty that's there because the beauty is above ground. Living in a world haunted by your own sin is a nightmare. That is not a foundation of repentance from dead works. When something's dead, what do we do? We bury it. Amen? I'm glad we do not, as some cultures do, take it out and burn it somewhere. We bury something that is dead. We put it out of sight. Amen? And God wants us to take those dead works and bury them in the blood of Jesus Christ in His finished work on the cross and then we're supposed to build the life on top of that. I knew a person 
that uh, this was back in the days when RH factor and all of this was a real serious thing in childbirth and, and uh, they were not aware that this was a problem and when the baby was born, it was born incredibly deformed and died and, and it, was a, it was a tragic thing. And the mother actually had, had some real emotional problems over this thing and she, uh, just to put the story mildly, she would not allow that child to stay buried. It's a horrible thing, is it not? And yet we have Christians that want to go back to the graveyard of sin. I had two roommates in Bible college the most wicked men I've ever met in a Christian life. First year in Bible college. They got down into the basement of those old dead works. And you know what they found out? They found out there was still a part of them that liked that thing. And when they left Bible college, one never finished, one just finished his first year and never came back. The other one graduated, never did anything for God. Were they saved? I hope so. I'm not running around inspecting people's salvation, but I will tell you this. If you're in the basement of dead works, you're not saved. You can't live there. It's the foundation. You turn from those things to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he separates them as far from you as the east is from the west. And he builds a life that will glorify himself on that foundation. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It may take us longer than three weeks to get to verse 6. I'm sorry, but we'll just take our time if you don't mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, stone, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Now read that next phrase. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. See what God says? You build that foundation. And even if you waste your life as a Christian doing the works of wood, hay, and stubble, things that are temporary, things, you're going to watch those works be burned up. But God's not going to touch his own foundation. Amen? He saves you. That salvation is when you repent. Repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of this world worketh death. What we need is godly sorrow. Godly sorrow works repentance. You say, well, how can I get godly sorrow? Study about the Garden of Gethsemane. There was godly sorrow. Amen. The crucifixion was godly sorrow. God sorrowed over our sins so much. The writer of Isaiah chapter 53 says, Yet it pleased him to bruise him. God rejoiced at the sufferings of Jesus Christ. So that we could go free. When we repent, all we are doing 
is bringing our sin to God. If you've gone through the discipleship, we have a lesson dealing with sin. And, and one of the questions, uh, the first question in the homework is, why do you have to bring your sin to God? The simple answer is, where else are you going to take it? Amen? Where else are you going to take it? The foundation of repentance was already laid when you got saved. If you can go out and live in dead works, then we've got to see what kind of salvation we have because it's not the biblical salvation. That's what it means here in the book of Hebrews. It says, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of dead, from dead works. And then it says, and, and this is one of the parts of this sentence, what you, what you need to understand is there's a series of things here. And uh, the writer puts all of these things in a series, it's, um, um, I believe the English term is parallelism, putting things in a row, right, right along with each other. My English major said yes, I got it right, good. And uh, so the first thing is not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. And that's why in the outline, it's not laying again the foundation of faith toward God. You cannot go back and reinvent your relationship with God. No more than you can go back and repent and lay a foundation again. Because the foundation isn't yours to lay. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. For no other foundation can a man build that Christ. Amen? And the same thing, that faith did not come from you. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and what? That not of yourselves. Faith does not come from you. Unless you believe in evolution, then it does. Or if you believe in the Democratic Party, or the Republican Party. And you really got to have faith to believe in the independents. You got to have more faith than anybody to believe in that. Amen? I mean, those are the people that... Uh, I'll just go with the crowd. If you think they're going to accomplish anything, you've got more faith than I do, amen? But it's misplaced. Because faith cometh by what? Hearing. Hearing by what? The Word of God. Isn't it interesting the words that God uses? He didn't say faith cometh by reading. You ought to read your Bible. He said, faith cometh by hearing. Why? Because it's the foolishness of preaching that he's going to save those that are lost. Amen? If you're here and you're saved, somebody preached to you. Now, we as Baptists don't believe in women preachers because you've got to be the husband and one wife to pastor a church. But... The Bible tells us that every one of us can preach the gospel to everybody we meet. Amen? We do believe in lady preachers when it comes to giving the gospel. Because that's the duty of every saved person. You're to take the faith that Jesus has given you and give it to the people that God puts you in contact with. As we look here, it says... Laying not, not laying again the foundation of faith toward God. If it came toward you, if your faith needs fixing, then it belongs to you and not to God. We have a, a group of, of preachers out there, and I don't mean just to criticize and, and things, but we've got to compare what we're doing with, because we're influenced by these things, whether we really believe it or not, is we hear this thing about, well... So-and-so came to be, be healed at my meeting and they couldn't be healed because they didn't have enough faith. Oh, wait, wait a minute. 
But here's what we do. See, that's Arminian doctrine. God is dependent upon you in order to get something done. Wrong God. God doesn't need you. He did everything for you. And when he uses you according to his will, he gets glory. But we're the ones that benefit the most. Amen? Because that's what God wants to do in our life. Faith is simply believing the word of God to the point of obedience. If obedience isn't there, there's no faith. Go to James chapter 2. The great theologian Martin Luther hated the book of James. In fact, he had debated long and hard and tried to convince all of his little circle of counselors that the book of James should not be put in the Bible. Really did. But they overruled him. They said, it's, it's been in there long before you were, Mr. Luther. It's, it's got to be in there. Even though we don't understand it, we'll, we'll put it in there anyway. You see, Mr. Luther had come out of the Catholic Church, which was a works salvation. It was something you worked for, something you tried to earn, and maybe someday, if you were good enough and said enough masses and did enough good things and had enough sacraments applied to you and enough masses said after you died and enough years in purgatory after all that was over, you might get to heaven. False religion. The book of James tells us that faith without works is dead. Mr. Luther didn't like that. He said, you, you've got to, it's faith alone. Yes, it is faith alone. But if it's alive, it works. Amen. I mean, if there's a heartbeat, it's doing something. Amen? And God wants us to live. He didn't save us to die. He didn't save us to sit around and shrivel up. Somebody said one time, I'm just a sponge. I'm just soaking in all that blessed assurance. You know what happens to a sponge that sits on the kitchen countertop too long? It gets rotten. You ever pick up a sponge that's been sitting there too long and squoze it by accident? It takes several days for that smell to get out of your skin. God didn't save you to sit and soak. He saved you to grow, amen? That's what faith is all about. You get saved. It didn't come uh, your salvation. Now, uh, boy, I got so many thoughts running through my mind at the same time. Your salvation wasn't foisted upon you by the predetermined will of God. It was a choice that you made because you heard and you obeyed. Amen? Faith is not driving, looking in the rearview mirror. Faith is not backwards focused. Faith is not saying... Well, everything's all done, so I can just sit and rest. Faith is moving forward. Faith is in drive. Amen? Faith is doing things, and if the faith isn't doing something, maybe it's broke. And if it's broke, you didn't get it from God. Amen? I met a person one time, they told me, well, God let me down. I said, well, let me introduce you to a God who won't let you down, amen? Because he can't let you down. Well, my faith is just gone. Well, it's not the right kind. Trade it in for something real, amen? That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews is doing. Now, we've gotten through two things in the list. We've got one, two, three, four, five more to go. And then we get to verse 3, all right? Am I being too tedious tonight? Okay. Uh, if I do, you let me know, but 
I want us to get what that's being spoken about here. It's based upon the fact that Jesus is our high priest. It's based upon the fact that he's done everything for us. You get saved by repenting from dead works. You get saved through faith toward God. I love that song, Whosoever Will. Let me... Let me just read you the words. It's, it's just so beautiful. I think it's 536 in your hymn book. Yes, it is. 536. Look at that last verse. Verse 3, 536. It says, Whosoever will, the promise is secure. Whosoever will, forever must endure. Whosoever will, tis life forevermore. Whosoever will may come. I love that hymn. Not too many people can sing that hymn. Because you've got to believe the Bible to sing that hymn. Amen? For whosoever will, the promise is secure. Because the foundation has been laid by Jesus Christ, not by you. The faith is His Word working in you. Not something you ginned up inside. You ever try to reform yourself? You ever try to clean up your act? I'm going to lose weight and start exercising. How long does that last? Till supper time, amen. But when God gets a hold of us, he changes us eternally. And if it's eternal, it can't be undone. All God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer tonight. And Lord, we thank you for the greatness of these words. And Lord, I thank you for the patience of each one here. As we take the time to explore them. Lord, I ask that you would burn these truths into our hearts and into our souls and help us to understand that you have not saved us to sit. You have not saved us to sit here and worry about our salvation. You've saved us to serve. You've saved us to work. You've saved us to produce. Lord, we need you to work through us. We just ask that your word would have its will and its way in our lives. It's in your name we pray. And let's just keep our heads bowed. And Joy, why don't you just play that hymn, 536. And if you need to come and pray and spend some time with the Lord, it's, the song says, whosoever will may come. Why?